Welcome to River Ridge Church. You guys are awake and excited. Uh, if you're watching online, welcome to you all. We've got a great crowd in person. Hope you'll be with us next Sunday in person. Uh, so we are super excited about the holidays coming up. Uh, and as Jay mentioned, he held up that card. So there's a bunch of cards in the seat bag in front of you. So that's for you to take home, put on your fridge so you know all that's going on. Uh, and we've got a lot of great stuff going on. Uh, here's one of the neat things. If you have kids who are in elementary school or younger, uh, we have a family Christmas devotion for you. Um, and so when you drop your kids off or when you pick them up, there's a booth out there. Pick that up. Uh, it'll start December 1st, which is, was that, Thursday, I think it is. Um, so I encourage you to do that as a family. Um, one thing that you will not see in there um, is the fact that our own Lisa Hurley, he wrote a good part of that devotion. Um, so there's a post. It's really cool. There's a poster. Um, my thing's not on. Sorry, sweaty. There we go. Um, but there's a poster uh, that you'll get, and we felt like that was a little thin with what we wanted our kids to do. And so Lisa, along with the publisher, wrote the bulk of the devotion that you guys are going to get. And so churches around the country are using that. So that's pretty cool. How about that? So. So this morning is the final week in our series titled Messy Church, Merciful God. Uh, and as I think about the last 11 weeks in this series, uh, I can't help but think of Jerry Garcia uh, and his famous words, what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, that feels like it's been the theme through 1 Corinthians. We have covered a really wide variety of topics um, since Labor Day weekend. We've talked about... Um, We've talked about division, we've talked about the heart of the gospel, we've talked about kicking people out of the church, we've talked about barbecue, we've talked about idolatry, we've talked about sex. Um, uh, it's been great. Uh, and so we are done with uh, Messy Church, Merciful God, uh, but we are not actually done with 1 Corinthians. Uh, so beginning next week, we're beginning a new series, uh, and I've titled it Christmas in Corinth. Uh, and so there was so much in the book of 1 Corinthians that I couldn't put it into 11 weeks, and so what I decided to do is pull a couple of chapters out. Uh, oh, there's the hero, the author. There you are, Lisa. I didn't know you were in here. Let's give her a hand now that I know she's here. Um, so uh, Christmas, uh, Christmas with Lisa Hurley, it's going to be awesome. Um, but here's the thing is, uh, so over the next three weeks, uh, beginning next week, this is the last week of um, the First Corinthians, Messy Church, Merciful God. Uh, but we're going to pick out three chapters that really have a great overlap with the Christmas story. Uh, so next week, we're going to talk about God with us, and we're talk about communion. The week after that, we're going to talk about God with love, and look at 1 Corinthians 13. And then the week after that, we're actually going to do a, a sermon which is called uh, Easter in December. Uh, we're going to look at the resurrection uh, in the month of December. So I'm excited about that uh, for a lot of reasons. First of all, 1 Corinthians has been so rich. Uh, but second of all, I want to let you know that each of these sermons is going to be a great invitational opportunity for you. Uh, if you have somebody that you think would be interested in coming to church, they're kind of checking out God or had some interesting spiritual questions or you've built a friendship with them uh, and they don't go to church or they're far from God, these next three weeks will be great opportunities uh, to bring them, to invite them, to allow them to experience what you experience. Uh, and I've found just through my own life that people uh, who are not believers or unchurched folks 
are much more willing to come during the Christmas season than at any other time of the year, for whatever reason that is. Maybe January is a close second, um, but really I think a lot of people like to come and are interested in coming, and so I encourage you to utilize these next three weeks for that. Um, and then, of course, on the 23rd and the 24th, we will have Christmas Eve services, which, again, are great opportunities uh, to bring people that you've been praying for, people that you know who are maybe struggling a little bit in life, uh, just to be a boost of encouragement as they get a glimpse of God in their lives. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Uh, thank you, God, just for the worship and how we got to enter into and be uh, with you and near you and have you minister to our hearts. Um, and God, as we look into your word today, I pray that you would give us some understanding and some insight. Uh, help us to wrap our brains around um, a fairly difficult uh, topic this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. So one of the myths that I think um, has been dispelled over the course of this series of First Corinthians is the myth that the first church was this perfect church, right? And I think sometimes you will hear people talk about the New Testament church, or the first century church, and like, man, we need to be just like them. We need to go back and be a New Testament church. And I understand the sentiment of that, and it sounds good, and it's kind of a neat vision casting type of thing. But the fact is that the first church, as we've read through 1 Corinthians, was a pretty messed up church. And so as Paul writes 1 Corinthians, a lot of what he's doing, as we've discovered over the last few months together, is that he's answering questions or solving problems that existed in that church. You're divided. How do we deal with that? Some people say eat meat. Some people say don't eat that kind of meat. How do we deal with that? There are people who are getting drunk during communion. We're going to talk about that next week. Like, okay, how do we deal with all of these things? And, and this was not a specific topic in any particular message, but this was woven through all 11 messages. That the way we respond to all of this is with grace and truth. That we have grace towards other people who maybe aren't where we are. We want people to express grace towards us because we are all in process. That's where the grace comes in. But Paul also, as he talks, he shares truth. He says, this is what God's will is. This is how to deal with that. And so we've had this journey of grace and truth. And so this morning we're in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you have your Bible, open up to 1 Corinthians chapter 14, or you can open to it on your phone. Uh, I'll be reading out of the ESV version, if that matters to you, to try and follow along in the same translation. Um, but what Paul is going to do in this chapter is he's going to address the church in Corinth in yet another issue that they have going on. And what's interesting, as I prepare these messages week in and week out, I look at the, what Paul is dealing with with the Corinthian church, and most of the time I'm like, yep, we have a problem that's just like that or very similar to that. Interestingly enough, in this chapter, the problem that he deals with is not really a, a problem that I think that we at River Ridge Church deal with very much at all. Um, and so what we're going to do is we're going to look at the problem, understand the problem. I think it's going to be um, helpful for us uh, in sort of a headspace kind of way. And then we're going to take the last few minutes and take the specifics of what he talks to uh, about and then give it some general principles about how we apply that to our lives. So that's a bit of a um, preview of where we're going. 
Um, but the issue that they're facing in the Corinthian church is that there was chaos going on in the church. There was a lot, the, their worship service was very disorienting, and there were people standing up and speaking in all these different languages. There were women standing up and talking to their husbands across the room, and there was just all of this chaos going on in the church. And so what Paul does in this chapter is he says, hey, we need to bring order to the worship service that you are putting on, or that you are a part of. So it begins with this. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So this phrase, uh, really, if you were here last week, uh, you know this. If you were not here last week because you were out trying to kill Bambi or Bambi's dad or something like that, um, definitely encourage you to listen to the message that Keith gave last week. It was uh, fantastic. And this is a very, like, kind of a two-word summary of it, of earnestly desire the spiritual gifts. So Keith talked a lot about spiritual gifts last week. Um, And then the first part of that phrase, of that verse, pursue love, is what comes in chapter 13, uh, which we'll actually talk about in two weeks. So we're kind of getting a little bit out of order. Um, But what we're going to look at today is this, from 1 Corinthians 14, 1 and 2. It says this. It says, pursue love and earnestly desire spiritual gifts, especially that you may prophesy. For one who speaks in the tongue speaks not to men but to God for no one understands him but he utters as he utters mysteries in the spirit so Paul is talking about here he's talking about tongues right and so we're going to talk about that and this may be something that's familiar to you maybe something that's kind of you don't want what we're talking about or you kind of some kind of understanding of it but let me share with you a little bit about what tongues are so there's sort of a couple of different camps or a couple of different views about what tongues are. There's one group that would say that tongues is speaking in another language, another known language, okay? And that's kind of one way of viewing tongues. Another view is it, it, it's that, plus it's also speaking in, in a kind of a different kind of language, like the language of, of angels, so to speak, and we'll get to a verse about that. But as far as another actual language, if you look at Acts chapter 2, uh, it says this says, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at the sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And so there were Jews and they began to speak in these other languages and people from all around kind of the known world came And they heard these people that didn't know their language actually speaking in their language. And they're like, what in the world is going on? That was on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit came. And so those languages, or those tongues, as it says here, were different languages that were known by other people. Now, there's another type of speaking in tongues that Christians um, speak about. And it's when you speak words uh, or syllables that are not an actual human language. Sometimes people will call this a personal prayer language. Um, and it tends to be a bunch of sort of nonsensical syllables being strung together. Um, and so Christians uh, who believe that this is from God and of God would look at 1 Corinthians 14.2 that we just spoke about. Or another one, 1 Corinthians 13.1 says this. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, 
but have not love, and then it goes on. And so saying that speaking in that kind of tongues is speaking in the tongues of angels. Um, now, again, there's, there is not total agreement among Christians and theologians and so forth. The folks on the other side of that argument would say, well, speaking in the tongues of angels doesn't mean speaking some gibberish kind of language. I mean, when you look at the New Testament and the Old Testament, they always spoke, you know, the angel spoke to Mary, the angel spoke to Joseph, the angel spoke different places. They would speak in a, in a known language, not some unknown angelic language, um, saying that that's really just a, a phrase that, that Paul is using to kind of a metaphorical phrase. So that's kind of a broad overview of tongues. But the question that I think a lot of people have um, is this question, and Keith and I actually dialogued a little bit about it a few weeks ago, and he's like, should I talk about this? I'm like, I'm going to cover it in my sermon, so why don't you leave that, um, and we'll talk about this morning. So but people ask the question, is tongues for today? Do people still speak in tongues today? And there are a number of different um, kind of positions along a spectrum, and so there are basically, I would say, four major positions, but there's definitely of nuances between them and, and within a particular spectrum. So I'll give you a kind of an overview. So on this end of the spectrum are people who would say, in order to prove your salvation, you need to speak in tongues. So unless you speak in tongues, then you're not really saved. You don't really have salvation. So there is a view that is this way that would say that. And then kind of the next view, this direction, would say, you don't have to speak in tongues to, to prove your salvation or show that you're saved, but really everybody should speak in tongues. Like if you don't speak in tongues, then you're really missing out on a big part of what God has for you. That would be this camp. I'm going to skip one and then go all the way over here. Uh, and this is what's called the cessationist camp, okay? That, the, that these miracle gifts, tongues, interpretation of tongues, um, the gift of miracles, the gift of healing, that those don't exist for today. They, it, and it's called cessationist. It comes from uh, 1 Corinthians 13, 8, that says, love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. Um, saying that, that it, those gifts have uh, seceded or they're no longer relevant, that when the New Testament was written, that, that those gifts were no longer needed by God to speak to his people. He had other ways to do that through specifically the scripture. And then this other kind of third camp that I, that I left out here, uh, this is what I would call, and I'm not sure if this is original with me or if I've just used this for so long or if I took this from somebody else long ago. I'm not really sure, honestly. Uh, but it's what I would call cautiously optimistic, okay? And this is the position that would say that speaking in tongues is possible. It's, it's this idea that God can do everything, or God can do anything. Um, but it's this idea of saying, you know, I'm not sure that everyone who claims to speak in tongues is actually speaking in tongues. What's coming out of their mouth may be something else, not exactly tongues like it's described in the Bible. So those are kind of the three, or the, excuse me, the four positions. And, and I would say at River Ridge, we don't have a particular like official position, but I would say that third position that I articulated, um, or the last one I articulated, the third in the, in the spectrum, would be kind of the one that would most, uh, River Ridge would most identify with. Okay. Ready to breathe? Okay, that was a lot. It was like, welcome to class. Okay. Um, we're going to jump right back into it though. So the other gift that he talks about here 
is the gift of prophecy. So what's the gift of prophecy? A lot of times we think because of the way that we use the word prophecy in relationship to other things, that we think that the gift of prophecy is being able to see the future, right? I see the future that, you know, WVU basketball team is going to make the Sweet 16. The lottery numbers for this week are going to be this. That's, we see that as prophecy. But in fact, when the Bible speaks about prophecy, it speaks about prophecy and it uses it in a different type of way. Um, Prophecy is this idea of speaking truth with clarity into other people's lives. Okay, it's speaking truth with clarity into other people's lives. And we're going to look at a verse in a moment that explains prophecy. But it's this type of thing where you're able to articulate God's will in a way that makes sense for other people, but also in a way oftentimes that kind of rattles somebody else's cage, that makes them a bit uncomfortable. Um, I don't think that I particularly had the gift of prophecy. I think probably my gift is more along the lines of teaching. But there are times when I will give a sermon, and I'll share an illustration or example or something like that, uh, or kind of ask a somewhat rhetorical question. And it's with some frequency that somebody will come to me after the service and say, did you have my kitchen bugged? Because my wife and I were talking about that exact same thing a couple nights ago. Or someone will say, you read my mind when you asked that question and then gave the answer. That is sort of how prophecy works as far as being able to speak truth into somebody else's life. So we go to, um, back to verse 2. So verse 1 is, remember, earnestly desire spiritual gifts. And then it says, verse 2, it says, For the one who speaks in a tongue speaks not to men, but to God. For no one understands him, but he utters the mysteries of of the Spirit. So Paul is saying the problem of speaking in tongues is that when you speak in these tongues, nobody understands except for maybe God what you're actually saying. He says, but on the other hand, the one who prophesies speaks to the people for their upbuilding and encouragement and consolation. For the one who speaks in tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And so in there, we kind of have the definition of what does it mean to prophesy. It says the one who prophesies speaks to people for their building up, for their encouragement, and for their consolation, for consoling or comforting somebody. And so that gives you an idea about those two gifts. And then what Paul is doing is he's unpacking. Remember, the big issue in the church is this kind of chaos or disorder going on in the church. So then Paul says, Verse 5, now I want all of you to speak in tongues, but even more to prophesy. The one who prophesies is greater than the one who speaks in tongues, unless someone interprets so that the church may be built up. So he talks about interpretation. We'll actually get to that in just a few minutes. Um, But he's making this argument. He's basically saying, when you speak words of prophecy in, not English, but in Aramaic, in Hebrew, in the language that was spoken in the church, when you speak those words... It lifts up the church, it edifies the church, it encourages the church. But when you speak words of, of tongues, people are like, what is going on here? It doesn't make sense to them. Then he says this, verse 7 and 9, it says, If even lifeless instruments, such as a flute or the harp, do not give distinct notes, how will anyone know what is played? So with yourselves... If with your tongue you utter speech that is not intelligible, 
How will anyone know what is said? For you will be speaking into the air. So he's making a comparison. He's saying if you just get on a, on a harp or a piano or a flute and you just kind of pound out some notes, you just kind of strum that thing, it's just, it doesn't make any sense. There's no tune. There's no melody to it. There's no, it doesn't make sense as a song. He's saying when everybody is in church speaking in all these different tongues, it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's this kind of clouded, distracted, um, unintelligible thing that's going on. And then he says this, verse 12. All right, he says, So, with yourselves, since you are eager for manifestations of the Spirit, strive to excel in building up the church. Okay? That's a point to remember. Spiritual gifts are for building up the church. Again, Keith talked about this a lot last week, and he talked about we figure out what our spiritual gift is, we use it in ministry, and then that builds up the church. And I want to put something up on the screen here uh, that's really a summary of what Keith talked about last night, or uh, excuse me, last week. It says, my spiritual gift is blank. And so I serve on the blank team, which builds up the church in this way. You should be able to fill in those blanks for yourself and to know what goes in those blanks. So I might say, my spiritual gift is teaching, and so I serve on the teaching team at River Ridge, which helps build up the church as I encourage and teach God's word to the church, right? That makes sense. Or, uh, you know, maybe we take someone, uh, so Brian Uten is a friend of mine. He's in my home group. He teaches, uh, he uh, leads a small group in elementary, right? So Brian would say, my gift is encouragement. So I serve on the elementary age Ridge Kids team, which builds up the church and I pour my life into fourth and fifth grade boys, that's how he would be able to fill that out, right? And I share that with you because if everyone here could fill out that fill-in-the-blank, our church would do absolutely amazing things. If you know what your spiritual gift is, and you know how you utilize it, and you know how it builds up the church, the sky is the limit. But I also say this, is what holds us as a church back is that not enough of us know this, do this, and live this. Right? If you don't know this and do this and live this, then you are holding the church back. You are not part of building up the church. Okay? That's what a prophet says. He kind of rattles the cage. He gets in your grill. That's what I just did. Okay. Let's go back to some teaching. All right, then he says this. He gives uh, one more argument for prophecy over speaking in tongues. He says, if therefore the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues and outsiders or unbelievers enter, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an outsider enters, he is convicted by all and he is called to an account by all. I don't know if you've ever been to a church where people are speaking in tongues. I have been on a couple of occasions in college and a few other times. You walk in, and it, it's a bit disorienting. And I was an outsider, not an unbeliever at that time. But I can remember going, wow, this is, I don't know what is going on here. And it was a bit chaotic, right? And that's what Paul is talking about here. He says, the church is not to be this chaotic frenzy of people. He says, instead, it's supposed to be a place where someone who's not a believer— or someone who's an outsider to that church could come in 
and be encouraged and edified and built up in their faith. Now, Paul does give one exception or one qualification um, to speak in tongues in a church service. He says this, verse 27. If anyone, excuse me, if any speak in a tongue, let there be only two or at most three. And each in turn, and let someone interpret. For if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. So he's saying that if you feel like the Holy Spirit's causing you to speak in a tongue in a church, make sure that there is somebody there to interpret, and that should only happen two or at most three times in a church service. All right. How are we doing? So, so here's, here's how I think we're doing. Like this, this is, I think some of you are like, this is, I, I have no idea what we're talking about still. I need to go listen to this sermon again because it's like information overload because I grew up in a church that like, or I didn't grow up in a church. It's like, woo. And then other people are like, yeah, I've been in that church. And it's a little bit nuts, right? And then there's other people are like, okay, I have some grasp of that. So I just want to take a moment and breathe. Let us absorb because we've got another doozy coming up here, okay? Is, there, is everybody ready to go on? Is anybody not ready to go on? Do we need a pause for anybody in particular? You guys are right online. You can pause and get a drink and come back. Okay. Uh, coffee. Okay. So it says this. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak. But should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Welcome to church, ladies. <laughs> Why did I bring my friend? I told her she should, have, she should have come on Christmas Eve, and she's here next to me, and I don't know what to do. So what's going on here? Okay, let me uh, be clear about this. Paul is addressing order in the worship service and the craziness and the chaos going on in the church of Corinth. Uh, and so he says, women are not permitted to speak. However, this is not a blanket statement. Paul is not saying a woman is never to speak, never to sing, never to pray, never to talk from the stage. Never, a woman is never to do anything. He's not saying that. And we know he's not saying that, not just because I don't want him to say that. Because if you, but because if you look back in chapter 11, he talks about women praying and prophesying. So he's saying it is okay for women to exercise those gifts. So he's, this is not a blanket statement of a woman shall never speak as soon as she walks in the auditorium. It's not that. So then we go, well, what exactly is he talking about? So there's a, a number of different explanations that scholars give to try and reconcile and figure out what exactly is going on here. Uh, I'm going to give you the two that I think make the most sense to me. Um, one explanation is this, is that in the preceding verses, Paul is talking about prophecy, and, he, and he's talking about weighing a person's words. So somebody speaks, and then somebody else weighs what they're saying and kind of responds to it. And what he's saying is that the women in the church were not to stand up in church and weigh or evaluate what the sermon giver essentially was saying. So he's saying, don't do that. That could be a possibility. The other possibility is this, is that uh, and this is more of a cultural thing, is that um, in the churches in this time, a lot of churches were seated by gender, by, by sex. So the men sat on one side and the women sat on the other. So you didn't sit as a family. And so 
what was happening in the church potentially, and this is again, it's, it's kind of a hypothetical, but you look at this scripture and you go, oh, that kind of makes sense. Um, is that what was happening is that there was the church service going on. Again, it's a little bit crazy. Somebody stands up and says something. Somebody stands up and says something else. And then what would happen is a, a woman would stand up and shout at her husband across the, across the place and say, hey, Billy, what does that mean? I don't understand. What's the difference between Elijah and Elisha? Are those the same person or different people? Right? And, you know, and Billy would go, shh, honey, I'll tell you later. Right? And so essentially, Paul is going, shh, we'll tell you later. So in other words, he's saying, instead of standing up and shouting a question across and adding to the chaos of the church, just wait and ask your husband at home, because the, the men at this time tend to, tended to be more learned and more educated in the scriptures. He says, ask your husband at home, don't add to the chaos of the church. So those are two possible explanations, or maybe they even overlap. Um, and there are I, I mean, I gave this three minutes. There are books and volumes and volumes written on this if you want to dig into this even more. So, when we started out, I said, hey, we're going to talk about the specifics that are going on in the Corinthian church, and then we're going to take a step back and say, what principles can we draw from this for our own lives as it relates to our lives and to River Ridge Church? So I'm going to give you three. Here's the first one. Church services are not just for believers. Church services, worship services, are not just for believers. That was the problem that they didn't grasp in the Corinthian church. They had all this chaos going on, and Paul goes, what if an unbeliever walks in? What are they going to think? And so as we think about River Ridge Church, we design River Ridge Church and what happens here on a Sunday morning in this room as well as all the other environments. We design it with the understanding that our goal is to build Christians up in their faith, but recognizing that unbelievers are with us. People who are far from God are also with us. And so we do things in such a way that we as believers are built up in the faith, but also in such a way that those that are not believers can hear and understand, you know. And so that goes, you can see it in a couple of different ways. I think when I speak, I try and speak in words that are not like overly theological and big. And, and I feel like I, that people who are not believers can go, okay, I understand what he's saying. He speaks at a, you know, kind of an eighth grade level. I kind of get that. Um, you know, we don't have like four hour long worship services because most non-believers don't want to come to that. We don't sing for hours on end. Again, that's a sensitivity to unbelievers among us. When it comes to unbelievers at church, and, and honestly, like you may be here and you're like, I'm not a Christian. I'm just trying to figure this out. So I'm, I'm not just talking about you. I'm talking to you, I suppose. Um, but here's the thing is, when we as a church, open up our doors on any given Sunday, and I would say most Sundays, there are people who come who are not yet believers in Christ. And, and they come, or, or you come if this is you, they come because they're curious about Christianity. Or they're, they come because they're curious because a friend invited them who seems to have life together, or at least have a few answers to life. Right? And part of that is all of us have a role in welcoming people to River Ridge Church, whether they're unbelievers or just outsiders and not regulars here. 
Yeah, and so we have kind of people who are assigned to that. We have people in the parking lot who, who are the parkers and, hey, welcome, and they're waving and getting people, you know, parked safely and all that kind of stuff. And, and then we have people at the doors welcoming people, opening the doors. And then when people walk in the auditorium, we have greeters saying, hey, how you doing? Here's a bulletin. Glad you're here. And those are all great. And we have people at the welcome desk who check in new families, and again, that's great. But I think that there is a big role at River Ridge Church that we don't always hit every week. And that's the role of folks in this room who welcome the people who sit around them. Right? So just take a moment and just kind of look around you. Everybody's doing it awkwardly. Look around, kind of make eye contact with the people behind you. Give them a little nod. You can wave. Turn Everybody 360, okay? I might call you out in a quiz here. Okay, everybody got that? All right, so you, you kind of took a quick look around. And here's my challenge for you, and here's what I think would help River Ridge to be a more welcoming place so that unbelievers would come and hear the gospel and give their lives to Christ. Is that if every Sunday that you came, you looked around, and if you didn't know somebody that was sitting in proximity to you, to your right, to your left, a couple rows ahead, a couple rows behind, if you didn't know them, then you would introduce yourself and say, hey, I'm Matt. How long have you been coming to River Ridge, right? That's the best way to ask. They may say, been coming for 10 years or it's my first Sunday, right? But it's a pretty good way to ask that question. But find out their name because the thing about us as people uh, is that we are creatures of habit, right? Like I could draw a seating chart of where you sit. Like it would be pretty easy to know who sits where, right? Because y'all are just creatures of heaven. The Lindenbergs, you guys are actually a little, you're usually up here. You're a little out of sorts there. Yep. You guys are good. I don't see anybody. You guys are good. You're missing um, Ellie and Jordan. They usually sit next to you, right? I mean, it, it's, you guys are as predictable as mud. So, or rain, or the expressions, right? But here's the thing is, use that to your advantage, right? If there's somebody who's sitting around you and you don't know them, Reach out to them. Get to know them. Find out a little bit about their story. Why? Because ultimately we want people who are outsiders and unbelievers to feel comfortable at River Church that they might grow and take steps in their journey with God. Here's the second one. Is be a prophet. Okay? Be a prophet. And I'm, again, I'm not saying pick the lottery tickets for this week or predict a WVU win or a TCU win in the Big 12 championship next Wednesday, next Saturday. Um, but what I'm saying is be a prophet in the sense of speak truth to other people in their lives, right? And, and Keith talked about this. Again, Keith's message last week, if you missed it, listen to it because it was great. I just keep quoting Keith over and over. Um, his head's getting huge back there, <laughs> Just kidding. Um, but here's the thing is, one of the things that Keith said, and I love this, he said, just because you don't have a spiritual gift doesn't give you a pass on doing that thing. Okay? So in other words, all the spiritual gifts that are out there, all of us practice them in some form or fashion. Generosity, serving, leadership, hospitality, teaching, prophecy. We're going to do all of those a little bit. You know, just because you don't have the gift of generosity doesn't mean that you don't tithe. Just because you don't have the gift of, of um, teaching doesn't mean you don't teach your kids how to follow God, right? So we all do these, all of these in some capacity. And so the same with prophecy here. Is it take the opportunity, again, this may not be your spiritual gift, 
but take the opportunity to speak truth into other people's lives. And I would say especially this is true when it comes to your home group, right? Your life group, like speak truth in one another's lives. Give permission for truth to be spoken. This is true with your family and your kids. Like be willing to speak truth to them, not just to keep the peace, but speak truth. Be a prophet with grace and truth in these ways. And then here's the final application. Um, And this application really spans last week and this week. And the application is this, is listen to the Holy Spirit. Listen to the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to challenge you and encourage you to listen to the Holy Spirit in two ways. Listen to the Holy Spirit in the long haul, okay? And listening to the Holy Spirit in the long haul means utilizing your spiritual gifts. Aaron, can you put that graphic back up from before? Of filling in this blank. My spiritual gift is... If you don't know what it is, work on it, figure it out. And so I serve on the. If you know what your spiritual gift is, but you can't quite connect that to serving, then reach out to Kim Nelson. Her job is to help you to connect the dots, and she'll find a place that uses your spiritual gift in a serving role. In a team, so maybe you know your spiritual gift, maybe you know where you serve, but you're like, I'm not sure how this builds up the church. Talk to your team leader, figure out, take some time and think, How does my gift and what I do in this team build up the church? That will give us longevity in ministry. And that is listening to the Holy Spirit because the gifts are from Him. And then the second, so listen to the Holy Spirit in the long haul and also in the moment. Keep your ears open for the promptings of the Holy Spirit. I talk about this probably every two or three months, but we talk about the 10-second rule in my men's group. The 10-second rule is if God prompts you to do something— Act on it in 10 seconds. Because if you don't, then you're going to talk yourself out of whatever it is that God wants you to do. So in the moment, listen. And if you're like, hey, I'm pretty sure this is what God wants me to do. And whatever it is, help this person make that phone call. Listen and respond to the Holy Spirit. We have got a fantastic month ahead of us in the month of December. We have incredible opportunities. And we can put all that we've talked about into practice over this next month. Invite people to come hear about Christ. Welcome people who sit around you. Speak truth to people in your life. Speak truth and grace and the opportunity. And there are so many opportunities that abound because people are talking about Christmas and the Christmas spirit And what if you had the boldness to say, you know, it's not the Christmas spirit that Christmas is about. It's about Jesus and the birth of God into our world. Be a prophet. Be bold in that way. And then listen for the prompts of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this passage. Lord, it is dense with information, and some of it's clear, and some of it's not so clear to us. But, Lord, we can take what this says We can listen to your Holy Spirit. We can welcome people. We can speak truth into people's lives. And I pray that you would give us the courage and the boldness and the tact to do that well. I ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.